In game two against the Brooklyn Nets, we saw a different 76ers squad, and boy, did it show on the scoreboard. The remaining patrons here giving the Sixers a standing ovation. Sixers 145 and Brooklyn 123. Man, what a total for the Sixers, and what a victory. There were plenty of great performances, and we'll talk to the biggest player of them all. Literally. I think we play like more focused, to be honest, focused with our head, like more into the game. We figured out big meanings. They can like make every play to winning a game. We take a win this time. That's Boban Marjanovic. He and ESPN's Dave McManaman are our guests on this episode of the broadcast. Now the 76ers have got something to build upon. Am I right? What a dominant win. You know, they said game one didn't sit with them well, and boy, did they come out and play like it on Monday at the center. What's up, 76ers pod people? I'm Brian Seltzer. Thank you very much, as always, for checking out the podcast. We're going to get into all the good from Monday's victory at the center, and there was a ton of it in the 145-123 dub. We're going to chat with Boban Marjanovic. <laughs> How great has Bobby been, especially in the first two games of this series? And we'll also get some thoughts on the series to date from Dave McManaman of ESPN. But first, this reminder that to subscribe to our podcast feed, if you have not yet already done so, we would love to have you. You can go to a couple places, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, TuneIn, Pocket Casts, just about anywhere you can get your pods. All you got to do is type in Sixers Podcast Network, and that will take you to our feed. Wow. Wow, that is pretty much the first thought that I'm left with when thinking back on Monday's game. What a performance it ended up being by the 76ers, especially what a third quarter. Historic. Most points 76ers have ever scored as a franchise in a playoff game, 145, and they tied the most points ever put up in a quarter in postseason history, and that's for the entire NBA with the 51 points they hung on the Brooklyn Nets coming out of the locker room in the third quarter. Boy, they just blitzed the Nets following intermission. And the Sixers, they were only up by a point at the break, 65-64, as has been well documented. And you've probably read, seen, heard, consumed with your content. Brett Brown led a little bit of a fire beneath the squad, and the Sixers responded to the tune of a 21-2 run. Joel Embiid, 23 points, 10 rebounds in just 20 minutes. Ben Simmons, triple-double, second ever in a playoff game, 18, 10, and 12. Tobias Harris, 19 points. J.J. Redick, 17 points. Mike Scott with 15, including three three-pointers. Boban with 16 and 8. Just great stuff. Sixers led by as many as 32 points. They got 62 points in the paint, 21-9 to nine advantage on second chances, and I thought this was really telling the way the Sixers came out, especially on the defensive end. They crushed Brooklyn in points off turnovers, 29 points off of 14 turnovers, better than two points, obviously, per turn committed by Brooklyn, forced by the 76ers. That is fantastic and spoke really to the mindset that we saw, especially in that second half. Let us get to a sound check. One game really good, one game the opposite so far for the 76ers in this series. 
So Tobias Harris, what do we know about the Sixers so far in this series? Clearly it would be just our, our ability to figure out different spots on the floor that guys can get going and how we can really complement each other out there on an offensive end. You know, we know obviously with Joel inside, it's hard to guard them. We know defensively how locked in we need to be. I think uh, we saw that in game two, just the intensity of pushing them off the three-point line and making them make tough contested two. So for us, it's just the energy and, and the, you know, the spirit and the flow of how we're going to play offensively and defensively. Those are things that are going to be there. It was excellent. It was encouraging to see Harris get going, particularly in that third frame on Monday, 12 of his 19 points in the quarter. We also know that Ben Simmons on Monday took his game to a new level. A lot seemed to have to do with mindset, and Jimmy Butler was all about it. He was really, really aggressive, getting everybody involved. You know, that's how we want him to play every every single night, or if it's a 2.30 game every day. Jimmy Butler, a man who pays attention to the finer details like start times of games. You know, there were a handful of performances that could be highlighted from Monday's game to Joel Embiid seemed increasingly comfortable and confident in addition to Tobias Harris, J.J. Redick, and Mike Scott, two of the other key shooters on this team, got back on track, found their strokes. Brett Brown, a big fan of the group that he's got. The thing I like most about this group is that they do let me coach them. You know, there is a togetherness and a locker room respect for one another. That, that I appreciate, that I appreciate. And so these guys are governed, I think, well internally. You know, I feel like the game plan and things we talk about is clear. It's not like we're throwing curve balls at the last, last minute. It is what it is what it is. And like lots of times you do it or you don't. And everybody from time to time needs a little bit of help. Top to bottom, the 76ers got contributions, helpful contributions from all over the place Monday, including from the bench. And highlighting that group, one Boban Marjanovic. <laughs> what a guy. In so many ways. But in game two, 16 points, eight rebounds. He also was in double figures in Saturday afternoon's opener. He is a master of the mid-range, it has appeared. And for those of you who follow things like player efficiency, well, Boban Marjanovic, he is among the tops of all time currently. And we caught up with Bobby after practice on Wednesday in Camden before the 76ers trained up to New York City. Boban, what do you think clicked for the team in Game 2? Uh, what is clicked for the team? I think we play like more and more focused, more like, uh, more like, to be honest, like uh, focused with our head, like more into the game. And uh, we figured out what this game really means, like, what is like, they have like big meaning. Every, every every win, like they can like make every play, they can make you like uh, to winning a game, and uh, it was. Uh, I think we, we do that. We we respect our deal from the locker room, and uh, we take a win this time. Tell me about your mindset. <laughs> it's unclear going into some of these games how much Joel is going to play. So what's the mindset that you have? How you approach each game? I think the mindset is supposed to be like never, never mind. Like it's not like who will play more on the court. It's like to you can be ready to look. you be prepared for yourself and to set your mind. Like you work like every time. Like you, like you know, you know that time when you when you when you need to come in a game to like uh, to like help a team and uh, do your thing. Like you know, like try to uh, try to because Joel, it's one amazing player. Like you know, like 
the best player in NBA, and like you, you need like to be his substitution. Like you, you cannot, you cannot be on the court and like just think go go everywhere, you know. Like and just help like to when he rests on the bench, to, like he drop in and uh, and help a team and uh, bring score up or like score don't go down. When we look at your touch, the touch you have, whether it's your jump shot in and around the basket, would I be wrong to say that there's like a graceful element to your offensive game? I mean, there there is a smoothness, there's a finesse to it. I mean, is that something you take pride in that you've really worked on? Yeah, for sure. Um, like you know, like some like we work every day. Like you must uh, you must keep it uh, like you know, like some somebody like born with that. You know, somebody like work on that. But you know, like the everything everything once in a while you must like. You must uh, put hard work in both ways. Never mind, like if you're born with it, you must like keep it going to be this be perfect. If you don't have, you try to work to to like uh, to like improve your shot. And uh, this is like I think I do both. Like something improves, something I born. Like you know, like and uh, it's every time like you know like focus focus to uh, on the game, make shots like you like you do a practice. Last question: Have you ever heard of the stat per? Have you heard of that statistic before? Yeah, I heard like uh, six months ago. So, do you know where you ranked? You know that if your career right now, you would be behind all time: Michael Jordan, LeBron James, Anthony Davis. It's an efficiency statistic. What do you think allows your game to be so efficient? You no, know, I think I need like need to do my, my thing. This is a good thing. Like you know, like this is, like motivation for me, to be honest. But you know, like it's uh, it's it's uh, you need like to go every time like how how I do it, every how I use every minute to continue to do that, and uh, it's good good motivation. Bobby, thanks so much. Thank you very much. Boban clearly in tune with the advanced analytics and that player efficiency stat. You can read more about it on a couple of sites, ESPN, basketball reference. But Boban Marjanovic certainly oozing and squeezing every ounce of efficiency out of the playing time that he gets. More analysis of what we saw Monday and so far in this series from ESPN's Dave McMenamin coming up in a moment. But first, we do know that with the Sixers winning Game 2, there's going to be a Game 5 at the center, 8 o'clock on Tuesday. And if you want to see if you can get in to a sold-out game, Sweet Rentals are the way to go. They're now available for all 76ers Round 1 playoff home games. They're the perfect way to entertain your clients, your family, your friends. Here's what you get in a great suite rental at the center. Tickets, obviously, parking, and a gourmet catering package. What more could you ask for? But if you do have more questions or you want to speak to someone about a suite rental, call 215-339-7676 or email tickets at 76ers.com. 76ers held shoot-around in Manhattan on Thursday morning, a few hours in advance of an all-important swing, Game 3 in the Eastern Conference quarterfinals. I truly, and I'm sure it would be a lot of fun and plenty exciting, but I truly could not imagine being a beat reporter covering any team that LeBron James is on. Can you imagine? I mean, seriously, the non-stop nature and pace of that beat. Exciting, compelling, grueling, no doubt about it. But the man who does it for ESPN is Dave McMenamin. He followed LeBron James and the Cavaliers the past couple seasons. He is now based out of Los Angeles, but with the Lakers not in the postseason, ESPN has assigned him to cover the Sixers series against the Nets. And after shoot-around, Dave and I had the opportunity to catch up, talk about the series, and some other things. So here's the chat. 
I'm not sure if anyone out there cares about this other than myself, but I always find it interesting when you have someone who's so embedded in a different area, a different beat, and then you get dropped down into yeah. a relatively brand new setting, which is the case for you here in the postseason. So what what is that like? How do you approach covering this type of situation? Yeah, I mean, I usually cover the Lakers I'm based in L.A. with ESPN, and I speak pay a little bit more attention to the Sixers than I guess the average team because I grew up outside Philadelphia. My family's uh, my brother's still a diehard fan and so you pay just a little extra incremental. Maybe you watch them a league pass a little bit more. Obviously once they made the trades to any basketball fan or journalist you want to tune in just to see what they got going on with adding Jimmy Butler and adding Tobias Harris and Boban and Mike Scott and all those guys. Um, I, I think when it became apparent that the Lakers were going to make the playoffs and, and an assignment became realistic that I'd be covering the Sixers, I tried to like you know, just read more stories and, and follow some of the guys who cover the team uh, on Twitter and stuff like that. And, and you know, now I'm just trying to make the best use of my time. And I introduced myself to Tobias uh, before game two. I just spoke to Jimmy Butler. I, I want to, you know, I could be on – we'll see how long this playoff run lasts and, and hopefully – I get to know these guys and not just be a you know anonymous face in the crowd, which has to be pretty cool because you're obviously so embedded in a beat that I cannot even imagine how much time it consumes <laughs> and it's nonstop all year round. But then this is this is something different, yeah. right? Yeah, it, it, it's uh, it, it's refreshing. The games matter. I mean, the Lakers didn't play a game that mattered for you know the last ten games for sure. That's why they were limited from the playoffs. But really, the, you know, the last twenty games or so, they were kind of out of it. So uh, I, I enjoy the consequences of a game that matters and um it's just it keeps you sharp i guess because once you get to know a locker room you know i, I certainly with the Cavs the last four years i knew a lot of those guys pretty well and this year with the lakers was a challenge because so many new faces but you know by the end of the year you kind of you, you have your people you can lean on for quotes I, i'm basically dropped in here and you know i i don't really know anyone i mean i, I know them uh, uh, you know brett brown I've spoken to before Cavs games, you know, but right. uh, not on an everyday basis. And so, um, yeah, it, there's so many great personalities on this team too that that it's uh, it's interesting. You learn everything. You learn how the PR runs their stuff. You learn what the practice facility looks like. You learn, um, you know, kind of uh, are they going to talk before shoot around or after shoot around? Like all these little things, and you know, that go into covering a team. Before we get into some of the micro of this series from 3,000 miles away and the couple times that you maybe saw him in person or, or watched on League Pass. What, what was the macro view that you had of the 76ers going into the playoffs? Uh, just the incredible swing of where they could go. I mean, I was in Philadelphia right after the trade deadline and um, you know, c- kind of covering the Lakers' angle of things, but I, I went to the Sixers-Denver game. And it was Friday night place was packed energy was amazing denver was you know really ascending at that point of their season as and that well. was was that the first game after the trade first deadline? game after the yeah. trade deadline and the sixers looked dynamite and then they looked good again that that following sunday against the lakers and you're like wow i mean the pieces here are really special and and joel is joel i mean joel is really you see him up close and, and i'm not saying you take it for granted but i think for me now seeing him like just day to day uh it's incredible how good he is. Um, and then so you're like, okay, they have that, that piece, you know, really one of the truly special players in the league. And so, you know, 
why would I bet against that team to not have a chance to to beat a Milwaukee or a Toronto or you know a Boston team to get there? Why not? You know, and so you have that, but then you also have the fact that Joel basically missed what 14 out of the last 24 games. This lineup only played 10 games together. The starting lineup only played 10 games together prior to the playoffs, uh, and then they come out and lose game one, and you're like, okay, well that's the other side of things that like you know maybe they haven't had enough time to gel and and if they start to feel the pressure of it not coming together quickly uh then all the implications of what this team could look like this summer could creep in and then you could go the opposite direction where you're you're not making the deep type of run that you're capable of it's funny to me how um at the start of training camp brett brown understandably justifiably he was talking about the getting out of the eastern conference finals being a goal, and that was with a fine starting lineup that did some good things last year, um, but certainly a team that in general is still relatively young at its core. And now here we are, and it's like a complete transformation. Yeah. You, know, you add Jimmy Butler, you're like, okay, well, then now, now that goal becomes that much more serious. You add Tobias and Mike Scott and Boban Marjanovic, and it's like, well, okay, well, then it really takes it to the next level. And it does seem like it's been a work in progress getting them together and for them finding cohesion. We've seen some flashes. We've seen times where they're trying to work through it. What are some of the believable things for either side, 76ers or Nets, that you've taken out of the first two games, some truths that you think that might play out over a series? Yeah, I mean, I mean, certainly let's just go back to Joel. Uh, when he's on the court, he's they don't have anyone who can stop him. Um, and I, I think I, I feel for the situation the Sixers are in because – you need to get him in shape somehow, but you also got to manage his body. And how do you get in shape without playing? I mean, it, it's such a catch-22. Uh, but beyond that, I mean, I, I think the defensive impact that Ben Simmons had in Game 2, I think, is something that can be replicated because you stick him on the point guard in D'Angelo Russell – I mean, he just has the physicality, he has the smarts, he has the speed uh, to be able to contend with that guy. And he's going to cut off angles and he's going to, you know, put his hand in his face and, and make shots more difficult. And Angelo, I think he still scored something like 18 or whatever, but he didn't shoot all that well in game two. And I think you can move forward with that. Um, I'm curious to see, you know, with Brooklyn getting back Jared Dudley for game three, uh, you know, can they dictate kind of the small ball style like they did in game one uh i don't know i mean that that to me is like kind of the big question mark for me is who will be able to assert their will and especially with brooklyn being on their home court uh you know i think i think the sixers you know they can't necessarily expect to do what they did in the third quarter of game two but i think the, the defensive impact they had you'd like to think they can do that again and then if Joel Embiid's playing you'd like to think that he's going to be you know uh more effective than he was in game one. I mean, he starts off one for nine. That's an atypical night for him. Uh, you just feed him. You get going. You feel good about yourself. And then you, if you don't go three for 25 from three, I think you're okay. For me, at least, with Joel Embiid, um, not to imply in any way that he cannot further refine his skill set, but to me, I think you see what it could be if Joel's not already there at this stage. Like you said, truly one of the special players in the league. With Ben, there's other parts where it's like, okay, this is – a pretty excellent starting point, but there's still other facets that could evolve with his game. 
Um, when you look at him at this stage of his career, people, of course, talk about the jump shot. But defensively, do you see that? I feel like around the Sixers they talk as defense really being a ticket to him taking his game to the next level. Yeah, just because I think he is so special in the open court. And so the easiest way to create those opportunities is get deflections and you know play your butt off on the other end. And then all of a sudden you have three on two, two on one. I trust the ball in his hands. You know, that's where he is an all-NBA-type player. Um, if you if you don't create those opportunities, then you're not giving him a chance to excel at what he does best. And so you got to put in the time. I mean, Iman Shumpert, I covered him for a couple of years in Cleveland, and that's what he used to say. Like, defense isn't fun, but offense is fun, so you play defense to be able to play offense. And, you know, if you can get guys to think that way. Look, look at back old Bulls footage. It was all – Pippen and Jordan just clamping down on the wings and then, you know, getting steals, getting deflections, and then all of a sudden them in the open court is, is dynamite. Now, I mean, that was – I covered Phil Jackson as well. Like, that was a big part of Phil's just schemes. Like, you know, obviously the triangle was, you know, so vaunted, but really came down to having two of the best athletes in the world playing wing defense, you know, and, and it's not that complicated. And you can do that to some extent with, with Ben and Jimmy. Uh, especially with, the, I think, the buy-in that we, you've seen thus far in, in the playoffs from Jimmy to me. I mean, again, I, I can't say I watched all the six regular season games, but I, I think he's been you know, pretty locked in, and, and it seems to me that he's he's willing to do whatever they need from him right now, whether they're playing backup point guard or in game one, if Joel's off, he's trying to take up the scoring slack. Um, so I, I think... The long-winded thing is that, that, yeah, I mean, Ben can use his defense to show off how great he is as a player on the offensive end. With Jimmy, a lot of the talk surrounding him in the regular season was that um, he might have been deferential at times, allowing himself to fit in, not encroaching on anyone's territory. But to me, and I don't know how you saw it from afar, um, there were a handful of games that made you take note. The Sixers had a Sunday afternoon win at Milwaukee, where yep. he seemed to really step up. The game against the Boston Celtics, the baseline shot to win it, that was there. Sixers didn't win game one, but they needed someone from somewhere to do something. Right. To me, it seems like in the moments that have required it, he's been able to get to that gear that everyone, I guess, associates with him having. Yeah, and, and like, and the playoffs is like all about like if he wins them two games or whatever, you know, you got to get you have to get sixteen wins, right? So like. He wins them two or three games. He's done his part, and and I, he's the type of player who can do that. Um, you know, I, I think the formula that the Sixers hope will be possible if Joel's body allows it, would be he can win them twelve. You know, and then the rest of the guys has got to somehow come together and win four games. Right. It, it is. It's amazing when you break it down like that. Um, the Brooklyn Nets clearly a surprise this season. They finished the regular season on a pretty amazing clip, beat some really good teams. Do you see the core with them having staying power? What, when you look out, do you see from Brooklyn? I, I think they remind me of the Clippers a little bit. You have a lot of young players who are hungry, who don't doesn't seem to be a ton of ego. Like I know Joe Harris, and I was speaking to him before Game One, and um, you know, he, he's been in. He was in the Cavs circus, uh, so he knows what it's like where there are uh, a lot of ego and stuff in a locker room, and, and I don't I don't see that there. And uh, that's probably going to change if they get what they want this summer is to add a marquee free agent. You know, there will be a big ego coming into that group, but I think that can work. Um, it's not ego's not a bad thing because most of the guys that have it legitimately are are you know the the game changers. But uh, listen, they they got. Guys like 
who are suited for the modern NBA, pace and space guy and D'Angelo being the straw that stirs the drink. You have Dinwiddie who, you know, can catch fire. Joe Harris had a breakout season from three. Uh, you know, you have a, a rim protector in Jared Allen. Obviously, he needs to get stronger and, and, and you know bigger. But you know, he he's a nice player there. And you know, Levert. I mean, geez, he's who would have thought he would have had this type of playoffs to start off after what we saw from him in November with that ankle. So, I I like their team. They seem to like Kenny Atkinson. Kenny's a sharp guy from all accounts. I just read it. A story about Lou Williams, who's having this great playoffs, and and he said the, Kenny Atkinson's the main reason he is where he is right now because he suffered a, an injury when he with uh, was in Atlanta when Kenny was an assistant, and he said that was the guy that like kind of got to me spiritually, and then also got my body right, and then got me playing in the modern NBA. Like, and so you know you hear that that that's the guy running that that team. And then try and you know try to get a, a player to add this summer. I mean, uh, I think they're going to be set up to be probably a, a, a significant foe of the Sixers for the next you know four or five years. Last thing, wrapping it up, the Sixers and Nets obviously went about rebuilding in different ways. I always, for me at least, find it interesting and educational, enlightening to ask people on a national level what they think of what Elton Brand's done, especially this year, first time around, and he makes two major headline trains. What have you heard about Elton, the way he's conducted his business in a relatively new role? Yeah, I mean, there's a great deal of respect. I think there is a carryover from how he conducted himself as a player. Um, and, uh, you know, you've heard his name kind of being in the short list of, of potential executive of the year guys with like John Horst in Milwaukee or, um, uh, you know, I, I think, uh, it, it's just interesting. He did go all in very quickly and, uh, it's kind of a make or break thing. I mean, it's, it's baptism by fire of, of that job. And I appreciate it cause you only windows only last so long in this league and you think it's longer than it is. And then Kyrie Irving requests trade from Cleveland and <laughs> everything changes. So, uh, you know, I think just the question is, and he could teach a lot of teams a lot of things if it does work out that, you know, you don't necessarily need to go into the season with a, a finished product. You know, the NBA gets criticized for being too long of regular season, eight, two games and with guys resting and et cetera, et cetera. Well, the flip side to that is that if you do make trades like the Sixers did, you theoretically can have enough time to figure it out. Like you can have three seasons in one season and, and then the playoffs are so long, too, that, you know, if you just get better round by round, you, you can become formidable. So I, I think he deserves credit for, for taking the big swings and, and also, like, taking this to a different – not a different level because we have to wait to see what they do in the postseason. But it's just a different mentality than had been, you know, the, the obviously break it down to bare bones and start building it up. Which, which obviously you don't you don't get to where you are unless you get those draft boots and end up being Ben and Joel. But once you have them, you know you don't have to wait till they're twenty seven. You know you can. We've seen it. I mean, it's rare where your best players that young to win a championship. But we saw it with Dwayne Wade. We saw it way back in the day with you know Magic Johnson. Like if the guys are that good, like give them a shot and, and give them the, the type of talent they're going to need surrounding them. Good stuff from David McManaman. Good to see you on this coast. Thanks so much, man. Thanks, Brian. Dave McMenamin, NBA reporter for ESPN, covering the 76ers and the Nets opening round series. His day job 
is the Los Angeles Lakers beat reporter for the network. Appreciate him coming on the podcast. Appreciate the time that Boban Marjanovic took as well to talk. And as always, appreciate you for listening. A reminder, programming notes, expect a rewind edition of the podcast either later on Thursday night or first thing Friday morning, and then some more coverage leading towards Game 4 against the Brooklyn Nets on Saturday afternoon at Barclays Center. Enjoy the starts of the holiday weekend and Game 3. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer.